Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what will shortly take place. And one of the things that he focuses on, what will happen when he goes away and leaves them. First, as we've talked about already a couple of weeks ago, he goes away in death, but then he comes back in the resurrection in glory, but only for a short while, 40 days. And then he goes away again to his throne, the bosom of his heavenly father. He goes up and above the highest heaven, and there... He remains bodily, wherever there is. Mind you, we should not be trying to think of this spatially. But his bodily absence is, after his ascension, which we mark by the extinguishing of the Paschal candle this past Thursday after the gospel on the feast of the ascension, it shall be reignited at the blessing of water on the Pentecost vigil which you should all, by the end of my sermon, be able to explain why it's reignited then. If you can't explain it now, pay careful attention. There will be a test at the end. But his bodily absence, after he leaves his disciples, he goes up into, they see him go up into the clouds and be enveloped in the clouds, which, by the way, is the Holy Spirit. They didn't just see him sort of go up into the atmosphere you know, and turn into a little dot as he got further and further away. No, they saw his full body enveloped into the clouds. Whole nother sermon there. Don't have time for this morning. But his bodily absence on the face of it is very distressing, potentially distressing for the disciples. Because the simple truth is, is that when Jesus is present, there is joy. And when he is absent, there is distress. Not only is he going to be absent, for God knows how long. It's been a couple thousand years by now. But he's going to leave his followers in a world that hates them <laughs> and that is going to try and kill them, that is, in fact, going to kill them, just as it killed him. On the face of it, this is all very bad. It's a tragedy. It's a failure, in fact, a ruin. A victory for them would be for the risen Lord Rather, to demolish his enemies, ascend to his throne, set up his kingdom, and remain there ruling as the Prince of Peace among his people. But what happens, what actually happens, at least on the face of it, is that he disappears into the heavens. He leaves them down here, surrounded by peril on every side. To those who want to and do persecute, torture, and kill them. And yet Jesus repeatedly tells his disciples that everything's going to be all right. Be of good cheer, in fact. <laughs> everything's going to be just fine. Oh, it won't always be easy, but it's all going to work out. In fact, not only will it be okay, it's going to be better than okay. This new situation with me going off and leaving you here. He tells them that truly their situation is actually going to improve after he leaves. Now, I've mentioned several times already 
on the face of it, on the face of it. I've said on the face of it because, as we all know, there's something more going on behind the face of it. But only those with eyes to see will see it. And not just intellectually see, but deeply know it to be real and true. First of all, he is not actually absent from us bodily. Well, he is and he isn't. Although to perceive the reality that he is still with us bodily requires one to have eyes to see. He is still present with us bodily through the blessed sacrament of his body and blood. Now the fathers of the church, when speaking about the blessed sacrament, they were not nebulous or fuzzy or gray or all sort of disembodied mystical in the least. They were very absolute and concrete about the tangible reality of Christ's bodily presence through the sacrament. I'll just read you, it's not what my sermon's about, but it's related. I'll read you a quote or two from St. Cyril of Alexandria. He says, quote, In the Eucharist reception of the holy flesh and blood, which restores man wholly to incorruption, the holy body of Christ endows those who receive it with life and keeps us incorrupt when it is mingled with our bodies. They go on to talk about us actually crushing the flesh of Christ with our teeth. He's speaking very tangibly and concretely here. He says in another place, whoever does not acknowledge that the Lord's flesh is life-giving and belongs to the very logos of God, the Father, let him be anathema. It's just two brief quotes, but there are a plethora of quotes and teaching from the fathers about the concrete, tangible nature of the mystical body and blood of Christ we receive in the Holy Eucharist and how it is truly mingled with our body and it becomes the bread of immortality, it becomes our incorruption. The clarity with which we all here today perceive the reality of what's taking place in the Eucharistic sacrifice and our reception of the very flesh of God, the clarity with which we perceive this is on a continuum, right? We perceive it more or less, some more, some less, sometimes more, sometimes less. I would venture a guess that most of the time our perception is through a glass darkly. While we here in this room today, we may claim clearer sight of what's happening than many have in the world, and rightly so. All of us, I think, are still a very long way from seeing perfectly the great and terrifying mystery that is taking place. This should be of primary concern to us. Gaining this clear vision should be of great importance in our lives. Because when this vision becomes clearer, and especially if it becomes clearer on a corporate, or at least semi-corporate experience, that is all of us together, which makes a tremendous difference, by the way, it will be evident in a very concrete and tangible way within our very church community here, in this community, 
there will be miracles. Great and mighty miracles take place. There will be a superabundance of joy overflowing like we cannot imagine. Oh, that all of us, and it requires all of us, that we would all desire and set our hearts on such a thing as one people. Now there is another mode in which the Lord Jesus Christ is still with us, even though he is away from us. Not just bodily, in the sacrament of his body and blood and the Eucharistic sacrifice. He is also with us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In our gospel today, Jesus says to the disciples, quote, But when the Comforter, the Parakletos, comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus. Now this testimony of the Spirit, it's more than just uh, legal evidence given. It is a full, living, existential, dynamic communication of the very life of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God reveals and manifests and makes known the fullness of Jesus within us. The Spirit descended upon the Blessed Virgin in the Annunciation. And there the Spirit formed the flesh of the God-man in her womb that she might become, quite literally, the temple of the Lord and bear him forth. In an analogous way, the Spirit is poured out on us in order to make us temples of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might be formed in us, and we thereby formed according to his likeness. In other words, that we might be Christified. This very activity of the Spirit to Christify us is most closely manifest and realized through our reception of the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. Now I want to read to you this morning a few short passages in the New Testament about the Spirit's ministry which are related to what we read in our gospel this morning. But before I do, I want to make it very clear that despite what these verses may sound like at face value, we believe and affirm that the Holy Spirit is distinct and eternal person within the undivided Trinity. These verses reflect the ministry of the Spirit, what the Spirit does in our lives and in this world. First, I would like to point out that Jesus, when speaking of the Spirit, says, Jesus says that he will send another comforter. Another comforter. The Spirit is not just the comforter. The Spirit is another comforter because Jesus is the first comforter that came to us. 
Jesus is the first comforter the disciples had known intimately, and now Jesus is going away, and so they are losing their comforter, so to speak. So he is sending another comforter, the comforter, the Spirit of God. But the Spirit is the comforter because the Spirit is going to reveal Jesus in them. He is going to manifest Jesus to the disciples when he comes. Likewise, Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth, he said. But then he said, I will send the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth fills the believer and connects the believer and manifests the truth, Jesus Christ, within the believer. And the believer is in Christ, who is the truth. In John... It's gospel, we read, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, do not be confused. Jesus is not saying that he and the Spirit are the same person. The Spirit and Jesus are distinct from one another. But he is speaking of this great mystery of how that the Spirit, when he is poured out in Pentecost, will manifest Christ within us. God's not divisible into parts either. The Spirit can't come to us without Jesus and the Father coming to us. But when the Spirit is poured out on Pentecost into our lives, even though Jesus bodily has gone to his throne in heaven, Jesus is coming to us. He is not leaving us as orphans. And through the Spirit, Christ is manifest within us. Christ, who is God and man who has joined himself to creation, who has made himself one of us. Christ promises to come again here to the disciples at Pentecost. You could say in a way that Pentecost is our annunciation. Just as the Spirit came upon Mary and formed Christ in Mary, so the Spirit comes upon us in Pentecost and Christ is formed in us. We also read in John's Gospel, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And in another place we read, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. <clears throat> this, again, is the ministry of the Spirit to manifest Christ in us. We need Christ. Christ is our salvation because we must be Christified. We are earth people, and he became part of that earth to lead us to the Father. There's a few times in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit is actually called, a little confusedly, the Spirit of Jesus. 
or the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This can be confusing and has confused some to think that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is not a distinct person of the Holy Trinity. That, of course, has been settled once and for all, for all those who name themselves Christian. But when the Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus, it is because of what I have been saying. The work of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit in our lives is to manifest and form Christ in us. Why? Because for us to become truly human, that is to be saved, which is to become truly human, redeemed and perfected, to become truly human, we must be made, formed into the very image of the glorified God-man, Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's what it means to be a human being. It means to be Christified. It doesn't just mean to be born of a man and a woman and have flesh and blood and a human nature and a human will and human energy. That doesn't make you a true human being. You're kind of a subspecies of humanity. You're not a true human being until you are Christified, until you are joined and made like the glorified God-man, Jesus Christ. This happens naturally only in the Holy Spirit. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in all of creation to glorify us, to make us partakers of the divinity. And he does this in a multitude of ways, of course, but he does it most especially when our flesh is mingled with the flesh of the Lord and the Eucharist, which is a spiritual event. The terminology here of flesh, mingled with flesh, is also very confusing because Paul uses the term flesh in the scriptures also in a different manner. Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have a spirit of Christ. Here is one of those instances where the Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of Christ. He does not belong to him. Galatians 4, 6, another instance. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He's referring to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of his son. He's the spirit of his son because it is the spirit, the Holy Spirit, which manifests, which makes us sons, which forms Christ in us and enables us to cry, Abba, Father which makes us adopted children of God. If we are adopted children of God, then we are the brother and sister of the eternal only begotten Son, the Logos and Word of God, Jesus Christ. We are his brethren. Philippians 1.19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's a profound exposition of what I am saying. The Spirit is given to us 
that Christ himself, to form Christ, even in our bodies. Paul also says this in Romans chapter 8 about the spirit and how the spirit makes us immortal in our bodies and heals our bodies and glorifies us in our bodies. This, of course, is all very closely related to us receiving of the holy sacrament of Christ's glorified body and blood, which, of course, happens in the spirit. These passages speak of the spirit of Jesus Christ or the spirit of his son, but they are actually referring to the work of the Holy Spirit to fill us with Jesus Christ and to form us after his image. You realize we are made in the image of Jesus Christ. Not in the image of the invisible God, generally, but specifically, we were created in the image of the glorified God-man, Jesus Christ, from the beginning. Jesus tells us of the Spirit's ministry in our lives when he says, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Spirit declares to us the Christ, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Declare here is more than just telling us about something, more than just passing along some intellectual information. What he is saying here essentially is that the Spirit will Christify us, deify us, That through the Spirit, our adoption as sons is made complete and real, and we indeed become truly sons of God. We become brothers and sisters of the glorified man, Jesus Christ, who is eternal Lord of all. This should inspire us to worship and tremble before the Holy Spirit. And be all the more sure not to grieve him and send him away from us, which should horrify us. But rather, we should desire him above all else. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.